Hey everyone, welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. I am so thrilled about this episode because I feel like it is going to take a huge weight off of the shoulders of so many mamas and dads. My first son was such a great eater, Sutton, and my second, Saxon, has been a huge struggle. And you guys know that in this Living Easy community, it's important for me to be super real and super raw, and that's why I know that you'll love Megan. I reached out to all of you for questions about feeding babies and toddlers and what you wanted to know, and I received a ton, which is awesome, so I decided to do this episode as a Q&A format. Megan McNamee is our guest, and she's a registered dietitian nutritionist specializing in maternal and child nutrition. She has two young kids of her own, so she speaks from a place of understanding and from grace and also in knowing that not all things work for all people. And she, along with her dear friend Judy Delaware, make up the nutrition company Feeding Littles. I'm sure you've seen them on Instagram. Everything that they post is so helpful, which is probably why they've grown so quickly. They were recently on Good Morning America and did an incredible job. And so I really just can't wait for you to hear her wisdom that she is pouring out into the world that we all could use. And before we begin, if you wouldn't mind taking a quick second, if you're listening to this, to scroll down from this episode to give a star rating and a brief review of Living Easy. It would be a huge blessing to me. It only takes a minute and it encourages me in this endeavor as I'm doing this at 10 o'clock at night. And it helps me to know what you love and what you want to hear more of. So if you wouldn't mind, that would be amazing. Thank you in advance times a million. Really quickly as well, I am pretty positive that my son turned the volume up on my mic and I didn't realize it until after the interview. So I may sound a little fuzzy and louder than Megan. And so I do apologize for that. Um, Stuff happens as a mama. (laughs) I guess there's nothing I can do about it now. So that's not typically the quality, but she sounds great. So don't let it detract you. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. Let's jump in to this wonderful episode with Megan McNamee. We were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and crazy, but when we do life together, it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life, in happy parenting, healthy marriages, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I also love sharing all the secrets about things that have worked for me so that they can help you. On Living Easy, I really like to dig deep. We will laugh together and struggle together. You'll hear honest insight and practical tips about things like time management, building a brand, traveling, strengthening your faith in your marriage, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another recording of the Living Easy Podcast. I am so excited for today's guest, Megan McNamee. Hi, Megan. Hi, how are you? 
Good. How are you? I'm good. Sorry, just drinking some water. <laughs> oh, that's okay. So you guys, Megan just got back. I love that I'm catching you right now, but you just got back from Good Morning America. So Megan and Judy run Feeding Littles the Instagram account and they have an entire, they have so many resources for parents who are helping to feed their kids in the best way that brings joy all around and nutritiously and all the things. So can you tell us about your Good Morning America appearance and kind of how you got to that point? Um, sure. Well, that was kind of a surprise for us. We just got oh, an fun. email, honestly. People ask all the time, like, you know, did your publicist get you in and how did that work? And I, I simply just got an email from a producer who had taken our online infant course. And oh, wow. she had mentioned it. I guess they were talking about intuitive eating at one of their production meetings. And she said, you know, I took this course that is kind of like intuitive eating for babies. And they were super interested. And it kind of snowballed into this idea that they wanted to feature Instagram parenting accounts and influencers and like Instagram resources for parents and how it's not just a place to post cute pictures of your kid. Hmm. It's a place where you can find information. Right. It kind of was, you know, this whole, pro- it started with like, we'll just, we'll just come out to Arizona where you live, have Judy come down and we'll just do a quick thing. And then it quickly turned into now we're having everyone come out to New York for a live filming mm-hmm. or, you know, a recording and a filming. Like, it was all this whole process. How um, did you feel? Were you nervous or were you excited? I was terrified. I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've done, I've done, you know, they, she said, you know, have you been on TV before? And I'm like, well, yeah, but nothing like this. Yeah. That's big time. Um, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, I'm so proud of you guys. That's too. really exciting. And I saw it. I saw the clip and it was amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really fun, and I'm I'm glad it's done only because it was just yeah. so stressful to get to and all of that. I can but imagine. Once in a lifetime kind of thing. Yeah, and great for your PR, kind of putting yourself out there and having your well, name. We we laughed because one of my friends who actually is a PR agent, he's like, "Do you want me to actually do your PR now? Do you actually want to have somebody for that?" I'm like. Oh, I guess maybe we should. Yes, yes, you definitely (laughs) should. Oh, well, that's so awesome. I'm so excited for you guys. I'm so excited to have you on. And for our listeners, um, we're going to do a QA and a format. So I received tons of questions from mamas and dads about how to feed their kids. I will be the first to say my oldest son, Sutton, is a champ when it comes to eating. He has always been easy. And honestly, I kind of thought, okay, I've got this down. I know what I'm doing. But it turns out, he just likes food and all kinds of food. And my second Saxon has been really hard when it comes to eating. And um, it's become just really kind of exhausting, if I'm honest, because we're constantly trying to accommodate him or find out what he likes and all the things. And so Megan is here to help us today. And so many of you seem to have similar issues. And that is what they are here for is to help us. So we're going to run through as many questions as we can that you all sent in about toddler eating and baby eating and older children eating and to see where we go. So Are you ready? Okay. Ready. All right. Number one, how much do we really need to worry about a well-rounded diet with a toddler? That's a really great question. Um, First, I'd like to just remind people of what you ate when you were growing up. (laughs) Yes. I think sometimes putting it in perspective of, I think there's so much attention paid to nutrition now, and we know so much more than maybe our parents even did. But I don't know about you. I existed on Pop Tarts and, you know, what squeeze it. Do you remember those squeeze it? Yes. Yes. And all like that's what I lived off of. And my mom, you know, was very health conscious and gave us a lot of different foods, but we still had a lot of those other things in our diet. And um, I think parents today have so much pressure 
to do it right. And we have so much information at our fingertips now Mm -hmm. that we assume that we have to be kind of perfect in all of these areas. It's not just food. It's also, you know, discipline and education and development. And, you know, are you doing sensory play every day? And all these things that parents, it's so hard to be a parent now. Yeah. And toddlers are naturally resistant to new foods. It is part of their DNA. It's part of their kind of their inherent personality for most kids. Mm. And it really depends on the child. It depends on what kind of the environment and what's led up to today. But a lot of kids don't like a lot of new foods. It takes them a long time to learn to eat things. And they're naturally more picky. That is considered normal development. Isn't there a rule Uh, about the amount of times that they need to taste something before it becomes a part of their diet? Yeah. So it's 15 to 20. We oftentimes say 20 to 30 because it, it can really be even more than we expect. It's not like they're going to they're gonna necessarily eat it the first time. Right. They have to see it over and over. And the theory behind that is that, you know, back, back when toddlers could roam around, once they started getting mobile and maybe they wandered off into the forest, <laughs> yeah. we, they needed to be naturally skeptical of new foods. Mm. Because biologically, if they just ate everything they saw that was, you know, growing on a bush or on the ground, it could be dangerous for them. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's true, but it makes it makes me feel better about, and I think my clients feel better about how the kids just not liking to eat everything. So when you look at what their diet is, we say look at a week, not a day or a meal. Yeah, I love that. I love the week and not the day because I think the days can be so defeating and kind yep. of frustrating, especially on the days that they don't eat anything. And so my mm-hmm. husband is always telling me like, Lindsay, he had a great day yesterday. He's just not hungry today. And it's okay that he's not hungry today. But he often uses the same argument of like, I grew up on cocoa puffs. That was pretty much what I ate for every meal and then frozen pizza. And I'm fine. But for me internally, and I'm such a worrier, I start thinking about GMOs and the chemicals in those types of food causing cancer. What is your opinion or thought on that? I think that's a difficult question because I don't think we have all the answers. Hmm. I don't think we know. We don't know for sure the effects of all these foods. There's a lot of research showing safety and some concerning research showing not safety. But we also have to look at the bigger picture too. There's an issue of access to food, right? Mm -hmm. Some of us live in places where we don't have a lot of grocery stores. Um, Some of us don't have the budget to buy a lot of the foods that we want to buy. And so um, I just hope that parents learn that there can be a balance there. Yeah, that's good. And A lot of companies are doing better. They're they're taking added additives out of their food. They're um, like, for example, a lot of people didn't know that, like, you know, the the blue box mac and cheese that we all grew up with mm. in the last few a few years ago actually took out their artificial dyes. Oh wow! And people, the, companies are moving in that direction. Yes, they um, are. Even goldfish, which I don't know yep. if they had them before, but I was just looking at the ingredients the other day, just assuming I still don't buy these. And then they all have natural ingredients, which is encouraging. So I agree. I think they really are going in the right direction. Yeah. And I, I just think if we, there's health issues caused by obviously lifestyle, but there are also health issues caused by stress. Hmm. Yeah. And if we, if we focus all of our thoughts and energy on what we're eating, how is that affecting the rest of our life? How is that affecting our stress levels? I, I mean, it's kind of a balance that we have to that we have to play. And I, there are people out there listening that literally are existing, you know, adults that are existing on coffee and you know leftovers from their kids' plate. Mm-hmm. And there are there are others that are have a very meticulous diet, and we can fall kind of anywhere on that spectrum. And I think if we just obsess too much, it can be kind of damaging in the long yeah. run. Yeah. Like a, a food obsession. And a lot of that conversation leads to, can lead to 
having issues with food and struggling with appearance and all those things. So yeah, that's good to know. Okay. The second question is I need tips for a picky eater. I'm worried that my son isn't getting enough protein or nutrients. What are your best tips on getting children to eat what is put on their plate in front of them? Ooh. So this is a, also a really big question because we actually wrote an entire course for this. So I, it, that, you know, takes a few hours to get through. So what is, what's get, the course name? It's called a to- our toddler course. Okay. Um, it's feeding little toddlers. So we have a, an entire online course that kind of teaches our, our strategies, but I can give awesome. you a few of them. Um, again, we don't expect miracle. We can't expect miracles with feeding. It's one of those things that takes time and consistency and your child isn't necessarily going to just change overnight. But one of the best things that you can do, you've probably heard it before, is eat together. That's first and foremost. That's foundational. And it's something that we as parents skip over. We, we know growing up, our parents made us do family meals, and we associate it maybe when we were teenagers or a little bit older. But it's actually one of the most important things you can do with younger children, too, mm-hmm. because they have to model you to be able to eat it themselves. They need to know, they need to see you eating it, see you enjoy it, see how you eat it, so that they know it's a good food to eat, too. Um, and it's honestly very boring to eat by yourself. And I know people will say like, I would give anything just to go to a restaurant and eat by myself, but they're not sitting there by themselves. They're sitting there with a book or a phone Um, or some sort of other entertainment because eating inherently is kind of boring if there's no social or, you know, distractive element there. Hmm. Um, So our kids feel the same way. If we just put food out for them and it's them or them and their sibling, and maybe we just want to get them fed and get them to bed, it's really hard for them to be interested if they're by themselves. Yeah. That's they crave really that interaction with us. Um, yeah. Another thing that's super important is um, to not stop giving them a variety of foods and not stop giving them the food you expect them to eventually eat. Hmm. We pigeonhole ourselves by only giving them what we found they like. And that narrows their acceptance list, acceptable list of foods more and more and more. And they learn to expect only the same foods over and over again. Yeah. And one thing that you've shared on your Instagram that has really helped me um, as a mom with Saxon is giving a variety and smaller amounts, like not overwhelming them. And also, are you the ones who encourage to put dessert on the plate as well at the same time? Yeah. As an option, you don't have to, I mean, if it feels comfortable to your family, yeah. If you're going to serve dessert, try serving it with the meal. Yeah. So we, we did that and it is amazing that he'll sometimes like take one bite and he is a chocoholic sugarholic. He loves sweets, but he'll take one bite of his dessert and the food he wasn't eating before he'll start picking at it and then he'll go back to his dessert. And so it's just, I mean, that has been so incredibly helpful and we usually do a variety of like four or five things like nuts and berries and avocado and then the main meal and it's just, that's been so helpful. So thank you for that. Cause that's oh, really that's changed helped. things for us. Yeah. Isn't it funny how, and you know, we were all, gro- we were all, we were all grown up. It's funny how you can't talk sometimes. <laughs> we were all raised to, um, raised to kind of see dessert as this like something to be earned, right? Either through mm. behavior or by eating Finishing all of your, your food. food, right? Yeah. And sometimes we're actually not hungry enough to eat all of the food and the dessert. Um, but if you're going to plan to serve dessert anyway, they're going to eat it anyway. It kind of helps them serving it with a meal sometimes helps them learn self-regulation, like how much their body needs, but it also takes the dessert off the pedestal. It's mm. no longer something to be earned. It's no longer something that you have to eat through to get to. Um, it's, it's just food. And yeah. we all, we all start to focus on food when we sense scarcity or deprivation. 
Um, and when it's suddenly available and not that big of a deal, the appeal and the kind of strong desire to have it isn't quite there and we can just kind of enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. The next question, is it better for my children to go to bed hungry and learn to eat the quote unquote right things than to let them be full on the wrong things? Ooh, well, that's a great question as well. And I think, I think there's such a discussion that could be had just about the the right and the wrong foods, right? Mm-hmm. But I think they're kind of assuming what I'm assuming they they mean is like they're not eating the meal that's served and they're asking for like snacky things or something else instead. Yeah. Here's the deal. Um barring any major sensory or medical issues, developmental things, kids will eventually eat when they're hungry and they they will learn from what we do. So if they choose not to eat dinner, they will and we give them a snack every time afterwards. Why wouldn't they not eat dinner and wait for whatever that snack is if that's a preferred snack? <laughs> yeah. You're conditioning them. Yeah. They're smart. They're yeah. smart humans. And they're not trying to be little jerks. They're literally just doing what we're setting them up for. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some you know, some considerations with that. When we serve dinner, we don't want it to be all new foods. That's scary to a young eater. It's scary to us. I mean, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you've never tried anything on the menu, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and so we'd still recommend having at least one kind of safe or preferred food on the plate. So something familiar, something they've seen multiple times before. In a lot of cases, it's, you know, like bread with butter or fruit or something that's, you know, simple for them. And maybe that's all they have for dinner. And maybe, you know, we do recommend if they want more, even if they haven't eaten the other components, give them more. Because once you get them going and they trust that that's available, they're more likely to try the other things. Um, So the answer to the question is, no, we don't recommend short order cooking and preparing something different or offering a snack afterwards if they didn't eat. But it's also a process. If you're, you know, like you go to a birthday party and what do kids do at a birthday party? Anything but eat. Yeah. They're distracted. They're distracted. They're having fun. They come home, you know, maybe it was a dinner time thing. You come home and they're hungry. Are you going to be like, well, kitchen's closed. We already had dinner. I mean, there's, there has to be some flexibility there Hmm. and you know your child best. And, and if it's just a meal that didn't work out and things just went awry and your kid's really hungry and you, you want to try again tomorrow, feed them. Yeah. But if you're noticing that's becoming a pattern and it's, it's something that's preventing them from actually eating their meals and what's served, that's when you want to start working on strategies. Awesome. Okay. Next one. How do I get fruits and veggies into my toddler's meals? They notice them in everything, even smoothies, and will not touch them. It feels weird to hide them, but it also seems like the only option. It is actually not the only option. And and hiding is um, something that I think there, there's a big fad around it a few years ago, like, you know, sneaking everything into food. It's one thing to cook with vegetables and fruits, like inherently put them in things that you make, you know, like bolognese or something. And you have you know, like you have tomatoes or spinach or right, right, right. And that's a great way to enjoy vegetables is to pair your food with vegetables and fruits, um, not just necessarily on their own. But if we're sneaking them in for the sole purpose of our kid, not noticing them, they will become savvy to that. Hmm. And it feels wrong because it, it feels a little like your child's maybe not able to trust you when you do that. And that's, that ends up, being the case. They don't trust the food that's served to them because they're worried about what this is going to taste like or be like because in the past they've had things snuck into their food. Yeah. So um, don't feel like you have to sneak things into their food at all. We do cook with vegetables and fruits. Like I will put spinach in smoothies because I like to drink spinach in my smoothies, but my kids will know they'll put the spinach in themselves 
and they know what it is. And they, you know, we talk about how it doesn't taste like spinach anymore when it's in the smoothie, but they're aware that it's there mm-hmm. and they can choose to eat it or drink it. But a few things with vegetables and fruits. First off, don't stop serving them. Try to do little taste tests with them. So like serve them in little tiny cups, like the ones you get at Costco with like a little, a few different dips. Yeah. If you pair, pair a familiar dip with an, a less familiar food, your child's more likely to eat it. And these are all tips from Judy. These are all Judy brilliant <laughs> things. She's the feeding therapist. Um, it's, it's very normal for kids not to gravitate towards fruits and vegetables, but over time we want to see their intake starting to improve and their acceptance of different foods improving. Um, our toddler course goes through tons of ideas, but if you find that your kid's really selective, trust your gut and talk to your doctor. There are people out there that do this for a job and they, you know, your child might be dealing with specific sensory or developmental issues and they might just need a little extra support. People feel like they fail when their kid needs help with food. Like they're, they're fine. It's such a lie. It's such a, yeah, it's like, if your kid wasn't speaking appropriately or if they, I don't know, like they had a skin condition, you would send them to a dermatologist. If they Mm -hmm. weren't speaking, you would send send them to a speech pathologist. If they're not eating, they're feeding therapists. There are people that literally do this, and usually they're speech pathologists or occupational therapists that are specialized in this area. Hmm. And it's amazing what you can learn about your child through this process. Yeah, I love that. I love that you also mentioned that your children help you to make the smoothies. I think I have found, especially with my oldest, that when he helps me make something, even if he's like, yuck, mom, that's gross, whatever I'm putting into the pan, that because he made it with me, he's far more willing to try it in comparison to if he hadn't made it with me. Yep, absolutely. That's one of the tenets that we teach. Children need to explore things with their hands mm. to be more comfortable putting them in their mouth and the more that they can cook with them. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to be like us as hard as they can. And so they see us cooking and using different tools and, you know, pouring things. And depending on their age, they can participate in a lot of those prep activities. And even... Sometimes they won't necessarily eat it in its full cooked form, but they'll kind of snack on things as they're prepping. Yeah. And that's exposure right there. That's them trying it and eating it. And the more they're immersed in that world, the more likely they are to eventually eat it down the road. Yeah, that's so good. So the eating spaghetti with your hands and getting it all over your face is a good thing. It's a good thing. It doesn't mean that your kid doesn't have manners, no matter what your auntie says. <laughs> yes. Amen. It, they will. Yeah. They What we are trying to avoid is a child who doesn't like touching things. Mm. We want kids to be okay with food on their faces without wiping them off 50 times during the meal. Right. Because when they eat things, food will get on their face. Like imagine when your kids eat like a peanut butter jelly sandwich, right? They bite into a – it's going to (laughs) stay – they don't know how to eat it without getting it all over themselves. And if they can't tolerate that sensation on their face, they're not going to eat that food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we we need to be okay with them touching and getting dirty. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Next question. What is baby led weaning and what are your thoughts on it? Oh, that is a great question. Baby led weaning is infant self-feeding. The term weaning comes from the European use of the word weaning, which means uh, starting solid foods. Hmm. So in the rest of the world, when we say, how are you weaning your baby? It means, how are you introducing them to solid foods? Um, In the US, it's very confusing because that question would mean, how are you stopping breastfeeding or bottle feeding? Yeah. So that's why people are like, wait, I don't want to wean my baby. They're not it's a totally different thing. So we actually try to, to pose it as like infant self-feeding or baby-led feeding so that it's just a little less confusing for people. Um, but we okay. love it. Um, we love it, not necessarily for every single family because 
for some families, it causes too much anxiety. And some families, it's just not appropriate given the developmental place that their child's in. Um, but we do have our infant courses actually based on baby led weaning principles, but um, with less of the rigidity that you'll find in some of the Facebook groups about it, we're, hmm. we're still pretty evidence-based and we kind of go off of like feeding theory Facts. and, and yeah. yeah. And, and what we know in, from our professional experience working right. with babies. So essentially okay. it's letting them feed themselves from the start. And we, we love it because it, it fosters independence. It fosters um, a lot of those fine motor skills, that hand and mouth and like picking, learning to pick up tinier pieces as they get older. Um, it teaches them where food should go in their mouth and how to chew and swallow, not just swallow. It also exposes them to the family food environment right away. So there's not special food for the baby and, and special food for the family. Everyone's eating together. Mm-hmm. And because we're eating together, they're, they're able to see how to eat that food. Your baby spent six months watching you eat. And then when you sit them down to a meal, they're expecting to eat like you do. And so it kind of allows them to kind of continue on that process of what they've observed. And that, and when you mention that, it makes me think of making separate meals for different kids. So for us, we have been pretty strict because we've seen in the past what kind of disaster it can sometimes cause when you're making different meals for every single person at the table. And that, and that, I mean, that wears on a family. So do you agree with you make the meal that you're making for everyone and include it, but also just be wise and discerning when it comes to what you're putting on the plate, that not everything is brand new. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Um, some, in some cases that doesn't always work for families, like with a lot of allergies or medical issues, you know, or if you have a family, like one person's a vegetarian, one person is this, you know, that kind of thing can be challenging. Yeah. But, um, for the most part, if everyone's able to eat pretty much everything, um, yeah, one meal, you don't need to be a short order cook. You don't need to mm-hmm. sit there and create different things for everyone. When, um, you know, when we have a group of friends over and we're create, making this big dinner for later and the kids are starving, yeah, we'll make the kids their food. It doesn't mean you have to be rigid about this all the time. Right. But um, for the most part, when you're eating together as a family, your job is to, to provide the food. Their job is to decide whether or not to eat it. Hmm. Good. Okay. So in a past conversation you and I had, Megan, um, we talked a little bit about protein. And this next question goes into that as well. But it says, if my child is underweight or small and overly picky, how do I help them to gain weight? I'm concerned they're not getting enough protein. Oh, so this is a little hard to answer without knowing a little bit more about the kiddo. But most children especially like if we're talking about like a really young kid, like a one to three-year-old, most kids in that age range get enough protein. And this is why. The protein needs for that age are somewhere between 16 and 18 grams. It could be less or more. It kind of depends on their weight. But let's just say it's like 18 grams mm-hmm. going high. If your child drinks milk, that's eight, eight grams of protein right there. If they eat an egg, that's seven grams of protein right there. Dang. If they have <laughs> um, whole Anything with whole grains will have protein in it. Any kind of beans will have protein in it. One ounce of meat will have seven grams of protein in it. Hmm. So they're actually getting protein generally a lot easier than most we people think. Because we all yeah. could just consider kind of protein comes only from meat and chicken. and Right. Yeah. Right. But it comes from a lot of different foods. And a lot of kids do love dairy foods. Mm-hmm. Um, they like cheese and yogurt. And those, those are very high in protein. Um, one ounce of cheese can be seven, eight grams right there. And, you know, say that have that twice a day, boom, they've got all their protein needs met. Yeah. So, um, for weight gain, you know, we want, we do want to focus on extra calories, um, and more fat in their diet. 
It doesn't need to be like we're loading them up with protein powders. Um, we obviously need to help support them if they're slow on weight gain. But just a caveat on that, you still want to talk to your doctor about your child's growth. Like everyone around you might say, oh, your kid's so tiny, your kid's so tiny. But if they're growing on their curve, like say they started at fifth percent, the fifth percentile, and they're still around the fifth percentile, they're growing as as mm-hmm. we expect them. The growth chart is not, it's not a grade. You don't want to get a hundred percent, you know, like, or you don't want to get 50%, you know, and just be right down the middle. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that one line on that chart is better than another. Right. It's only used simply for comparison of your child to your child. Mm-hmm. Well, see, and that's my oldest was 85th percentile and my youngest is 10th percentile. And so when we initially heard that, we panicked because we just thought the higher, the better, right? But right. what they were saying is, no, this is just how your child is born. They might be smaller, but he's staying on the 10th percentile every single month or checkup. And so he's doing fine. Whereas initially, and I wish that we would have been that would have been explained to us a little bit yep. better, honestly, because it just immediately we're like, oh my gosh, well, why is his weight so low? Because you just think, like you said, it's a comparison. But realistically, they're like, no, he's staying right where he's been. And he's totally fine. So that yep. was really freeing for me. Yeah. It really only means your child is larger than 10% of kids his age, weight-wise, mm-hmm. and weighs less than 90% of kids his age. But yeah. all we expect is for him to stay on his predicted trajectory. Because if he's kind of going all over the place, if he suddenly shoots up to 90th percentile, that's that's growth that's unexpected. Yeah. I think so, that is going to make so many moms feel better. <laughs> I really do. I think yeah. your answer right there is going to be really freeing for a lot of moms. Oh, good. Okay. What is your opinion on including milk in the diet for toddlers and older? We've seen the push lately that animals don't drink milk into adulthood. So why do we? You guys, you just, everyone's coming with a hard hitter. It's a big one. <laughs> I <know>. um, <laughs> so I, we, like a lot of things, we take the approach that not one solution works for every family. And milk is a convenient source of a lot of nutrients for kids, but it's not a required source. Hmm. Um, a lot of kids don't do well with milk. A lot of families don't drink milk. We just, in my family, have never really been, at least myself, my husband drinks milk, but I've just have never gotten into drinking milk since I've been an adult. And so I still serve my kids dairy foods and they can still meet their nutrient needs conveniently through yogurt and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, some, sometimes ice cream, um, which is actually a very good source of calcium. Yeah. Um, but um, they, um, they don't drink fluid, fluid milk, never really got into it. Um, for other families, what fluid milk or what cow's milk does is it allows kids to transition off of breast milk or formula whenever that does happen for that person, that family in a way that makes the transition less jarring. So they go from, you know, a high milk diet to less or less milk over time. And that's kind of why it's always been used. It's kind of been that bridging of the gap between lots of milk to not as much milk. Hmm. Do you need it to be healthy? No. But is it inherently bad for you? No, I don't think so. And not for every single person. Um, and I think you have to figure out what works best for your child. Some kids will not drink cow's milk. Mm-hmm. Some kids will only drink cow's milk and nothing else, no other alternatives. Um, if your child is you know, struggling with growth, a lower calorie plant milk might not be the option. Yeah. There are some higher calorie plant milks. I don't want you to get a whole bunch of <laughs> messages like <laughs> there are, you know, coconut milk, like that whole fat coconut milk and hemp milk and stuff can have more calories and fat in them. But I think 
I think you have to look at like, what does your family drink? What do you want to see you all drinking over time? Yeah. And also realize that some families use milk just temporarily at the beginning, whatever kind of milk it is. And then they kind of stop and they just, they drink water as their primary beverage. So all of these options are okay. Okay. Yeah. That was, that's really good for me with Saxon. He will not drink milk, but he'll eat all the yogurt and all the cheese. And so I've realized it's okay because there is, there is replacement calcium in that as well. So, and and if your child can't do dairy, there are a lot of other dairy, you know, high calcium dairy, dairy free foods. Yeah. Um, but a lot of families, because those are, those tend to be foods that toddlers don't gravitate toward as much Mm. like leafy greens and, you know, (laughs) almond butter. And, you know, (laughs) so, um, a lot of families will do like a fortified plant-based milk. Okay. Instead. So there's a lot of options. Awesome. All right. So if you, off the top of your head, if you can, if you can't, it's okay. But off the top of your head, if you can give three practical tips, so something like putting the dessert on the plate, three practical tips that have made eating easier for your family, for your children, what would they be? Okay. So three practical tips that have helped eating with my my family and my clients. Um, yeah. We fortunately, between Judy and myself, we have now been in practice for 47 years combined. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so we have a lot of experience, especially Judy, because she's just a phenom in her field. Mm -hmm. She's just absolutely amazing. And she'll say things to me like, you know, oh, I did this with a client today. I'm like, wow, I had no idea that you knew how, like that that even was a thing. And she's like, oh yeah, I do it all the time. I feel like I need to shadow her for like four months. (laughs) Just like, figure out all the brilliance. It's amazing to have someone like that though, that you can look up to and admire and who's kind and willing to share their wisdom. Like that's yep. such a blessing. That's awesome. Yes. It's, we're, we're lucky to be partnered in the way that we are and how, like bring different types of skills and different, Yeah, you know, like it's just, sometimes I feel like I'm her translator to, cause she just has so many brilliant ideas and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa stop there. Stop there. Whoa, whoa. We haven't talked about that before. Let's pull that one out and, you know, <laughs> and use it. Yeah. 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 So I, it's, it's a fun, it's fun for me because it's like this interesting puzzle of like piecing it all together. So my three main tips for families would be, first off, try to make the mealtime fun. Remember that they're still kids and they gravitate toward play. Mm. In our toddler course, we talk a ton about novelty and food play and how to make it work for your family. The reason why your child eats the thing at Costco and then you buy 12 pounds of it and they don't eat it again (laughs) when you get home isn't because of the food. It was because it was in that tiny little cup or it was on a little funny spork or Hmm. different utensil. They're, they naturally gravitate toward unique, novel things. Yeah. So don't be afraid to put something on a stick as long as your kid's not going to poke their eye out or – Make bear you know, shapes have, out of your pancakes. Yes. The other <laughs> yeah. day my kids weren't eating blueberries. And honestly, you know, people say like, what age does your toddler course work for? We've had people say that it works on their husbands. Yeah. It works on their teenagers. It works all – it's the same concepts. Right. So my almost seven-year-old, you know, wasn't touching the blueberries. There were these gorgeous blueberries. I don't know why because they're probably not in season. <laughs> they're from somewhere far away. But um, – I gave her a little skewer, like a wooden skewer, usually used for like grilling and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she started poking all the blueberries on it. And she's like, oh, I'm going to see, I'm going to make a blueberry tower. And then she's like, I'm going to eat like corn in the cob. And she turns it sideways and she starts eating blueberries kind of, you know, they're falling off everywhere. And like, it's really funny to see her doing this. She ate all the blueberries. Hmm. That's really good. That's really wise. Yeah. Um, So don't forget that your child is always trying to learn Hmm. and trying to have fun. So it's okay. It doesn't have to be this monotonous, like boring mealtime that maybe we grew up in. It can be fun. Yeah. 
Um, the second thing to remember is that your children are always listening to you. So if we say all the time, oh, he's picky, he's not going to eat that, he learns, I'm picky, I'm not going to eat mm, that. That's so good. They live, they live, up, to, <laughs> they live up to the labels. Yeah, all of us are. They live up to the labels we give them. Yeah. And we can be so, we don't even realize how, how we're talking about them because we're trying to commiserate. We're trying to, you know, like unload some of our stresses to our friends or our family members. And we don't realize like their little ears are hearing every single thing we're saying. Mm. And especially as they get older, they, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, not just with food, with everything like, oh, he's, you know, he's so bad. He's so rude. He, you know, all of these things, they start to live up to what they hear about themselves. Yeah. And I, I love that too, because I feel like, as you say that, I think a lot of people overcompensate a little bit because they feel guilty or ashamed or embarrassed that their children don't eat like they're expecting them to eat. Mm-hmm. And so then when they are talking about them, they're like, oh, he's just so picky, you know, to almost maybe blame shift a little bit because they feel ashamed. Do you think that women carry that burden a little bit of feeling like oh yeah like that it's their responsibility to make their kids the perfect eater I mean I think we do that in everything with yeah. our kids these expectations that are so unrealistic and I think that's honestly why people say it is they want to kind of lay that expectation down that if they're person they don't want somebody to think like oh that kid's super rude because they didn't eat right. the food I served them right they're like oh they're, they're picky they might not eat that I before I had kids I taught um I used to teach nutrition like seminars and I had one at at the gym I go to now and it was for kids. And, you know, it's kind of funny now. I've always worked with kids and families, but it's so different when you have your own. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very <laughs> and, much so. and I laugh at some of the things I said and did, mm-hmm. but um, I had this seminar where I had them make two different things. I had them make um, like almond butter and smashed, smashed raspberry sandwiches on like a whole, like a really hearty whole grain bread. And then I had them make um, tzatziki, which is kind of oh, a I love you know, flavorful. Yeah. Cucumber yogurt dip. It's tangy and strong flavors, mm-hmm. right? And I just wanted to see how it would go. And it was so funny because every kid had a little station and they were making it with their parents. And almost all of the parents said, they're not going to eat this. They're not. And I kept saying, guys, guys, it's okay. Just try to avoid any labels. Don't say anything. If you're telling your kid they're not going to eat this, they're not going to eat this. Well, of course they're not going to eat it. Right. See what they do. Every single, there was like 20 kids in there. Every single kid except one ate both of the foods. Hmm. Wow. Every single one. And that's because, you know, there's a social aspect to it and they see other kids eating it and they and it's kind of like this dare this challenge but but they they made it themselves too which I love they made it they made it themselves and it was this kind of autonomy thing and it was such a good reminder for me before I even had kids of how we set ourselves up as parents to like almost have this expectation before our kids have even fulfilled anything yeah yeah that's so good okay your third tip I'm sorry I totally cut you off no that's okay my third tip, I think, just kind of runs. It's I've changed my tip, if that's okay. Yeah. It definitely. runs into what we were just talking about. The third tip is your child's eating habits are not a reflection of your parenting. Hmm. And sometimes, and that's a tip because sometimes we pass on our anxiety and our upset and our neuroses about what our kids are eating and our kids pick up on that. Yeah. And so remember that the more you try to control the situation, the more you try to, ha- to have this tight grip on it, the more your child will push back and the less fun it will become. You are not a bad parent if your kid isn't eating every food. Most kids don't eat every food. And it is biologically normal for them to do that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you screwed up or you did something wrong. And in the cases of kids with severe issues, like, you know, sensory stuff that's really getting in the way of eating or, you know, maybe they were too afraid to give them real food and they, their baby just really never figured out how to chew. And so now they're a toddler that's not chewing. Like, 
even if you wish you had done something differently, it doesn't make you a bad parent for what you did. Mm-hmm. Yes. You did what you did for a reason. And a lot of times, you know, we learn different things and we're like, okay, if I have, you know, if I have another one, I'm going to do it differently now, but it doesn't make those decisions bad for when you made them. Right. Yeah. And I, I hate how it falls on the mom. <laughs> Why is it always I the know, mom? No, it does. I, everything does. I actually saw that there's a book out there about how the mom became the person that everything relies upon. And it's, I'm so interested to read it because it's so true. It's not, I mean, my husband and I often talk about the responsibilities of a husband and my husband is awesome and he steps up and he helps me with everything. But even the terms like, is your husband babysitting the kids? And all of those things, it's very, it's very fascinating, but that's another topic for another day. Um, Okay. So kind of on what you were just saying, I'll ask my last question. And this is my question. What is one thing that you want to say to every mama right now? Because this really can be such a stressful thing. And I have felt the weight of it, like the exhaustion of feeling like, oh, this is just a lot, you know, and I didn't expect this to be a part of parenthood. And I think we often forget to give ourselves that grace that we desperately need because we carry a heavy burden on our shoulders to get everything so perfect. So what would you say to those mamas? that it seems so big right now, but when you are five years out from this, Mm. you're going to look back and smile at, you know, smile at yourself. Yeah. It's when you're in it, especially at the very, the first few years of feeding a kid are so daunting because they have to eat so much. And, you know, it starts with the whole breastfeeding formula feeding thing, right? It's it's emotionally charged right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And your parenting is judged either for real or by perception right off the bat. And so I think so many of us kind of start off with a really not great experience Mm. and it perpetuates as they get older and, you know, they, maybe they were great eater as a baby, but then they became a pickier toddler. We didn't know what to do, or we feel ashamed about what we feed our kid or whatever that is. Just realize that in the grand scheme of things, you were going to look back on this and smile and back on this and kind of wish you had taken a breath and stepped back a little mm. bit. Um, because you're, you're, you have to get back down to, is your child fed? Is your child growing? Is your child happy? Is your child loved? Mm. Yes. And that's really what matters. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Megan. I feel, I just adore you. And I feel like I learned so much (laughs) and I'm ready to take this away. And I know that our listeners are going to be really encouraged. So to all of our listeners, make sure to check out uh, Megan and Judy's courses. They're on Feeding Littles on Instagram and Feeding Littles on Facebook. And they have tons of resources for you guys that you can use to help ease the burden a little bit of feeding your little ones. So thank you so much, Megan. I loved having you on. Hey guys, if you have been enjoying the Living Easy podcast, the most thoughtful thing that you can do is to share the love. If you're ever impacted or encouraged by an episode, simply take a quick screenshot and tag at Living Easy Podcast and share on Instagram or Facebook or simply text it to a friend or family member who may need to hear it. The more you share, the more of an opportunity we all have to bring hope and joy to the people around the world. So let's do it together. Thank you all so much for your support, and we'll talk to you next time.